0: I encourage you to do that. Uh, go ahead and take your Bible and go to Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter 6. We've talked about love, joy, peace, and patience. Today, we are diving into kindness and goodness. We're getting a two-for-one deal this morning as we, as we cover two fruits and one sermon. Luke chapter 6, let's go to verse 27. Will you stand in honor of God's word as we read together? Jesus says, and Luke records, verse 27, he says, I say to you who hear, not you who are here, but you who hear. Who wants to hear from the Lord today? Amen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. A second ago I said who wants to hear from the Lord today and pretty much everyone affirmed that. But what, what, what do we do when God tells us something we don't want to hear? Can I just be real honest with you? I don't love that sentence. Is that okay to say that? And, and if you're going to be honest about it in the depths of your soul, you don't like that sentence either. I don't know that there's a harder statement ever said by Jesus than that right there. Love your enemies. The people who are working against you, you work for them. The people who are out to hurt you, you be out to help them. Do good to those who hate you. People that are talking bad about you behind your back, you talk good about them behind their back. Is that, are you hearing me? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, he didn't say how to pray for them. We can pray some Old Testament prayers maybe. Right? But we know from the context what Jesus is saying. In verse 29, he says, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer them the other one. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. In other words, if they take your coat, give them your shirt. Verse 30, Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, don't demand it back. And verse 31 is the crux of today's message. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, to paraphrase that, Jesus is very simply saying, treat other people the way you want other people to treat you. What I think we hear and what we put into action more times than not, maybe you don't, but speaking for myself, what I hear, or rather what I would prefer to do, would be to treat other people the way other people treat me. Right? But Jesus is very clear. Love your enemies. Do good to those who curse you. Bless them. If they take something from you, offer them something else. If they hurt you, pray for them. If they hit you, give them give them the other cheek. And most of the time when someone strikes you, it's not with a fist. It's usually with words, right? And then he says, to sum it all up, the way you want people to treat you the way you would want them to treat you in a perfect world in perfect situations treat them that way I'm talking about kindness today how many of you in your heart of hearts you would say i want i want to be a kind person would you raise your hand I think you do. I think, if, I mean, if you showed up to church today, I think you want to be a good person. You want to be a kind person. And I hope and I pray today, and I'm going to pray in just a moment, that from God's word and from a few thoughts and from the infilling of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and lives through us, that today as we leave this place, that we would be a little more kind and a little more generous. So Father, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've had in worship. And I just pray that over the next few moments that you would help me to step aside so that, God, I would not hinder in any way what you would want to say or do in this place. And that, God, that I would be nothing more than an empty vessel that you fill and and instruct to say and to do what only you would have said and done. And that we would truly leave this place more like Jesus Than we were when we walked in. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Paul says in Galatians 5. And I think many of you have probably got it memorized by now. Because we've said it every Sunday. And join with me as we go through this. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now, we read the words kindness and goodness and we see them as somewhat similar words. Uh, you have to remember that the New Testament of your Bible was originally written in the Greek language, and so the best way to, to to dig deep into Scripture is to look at original context, look at original language. And not everybody has access to that, but I do. And so here you go. You're welcome. You excited? So. So if we go to the Greek and we look at the word kindness, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it this service. I tried to say it last service and my Mississippi started showing too much and I just couldn't get it out. Um, but the, the, the Greek kindness there, if you go to biblical dictionaries, it, it's, it's basically saying to act purposefully positive towards another. Purposefully positive towards another. And the word goodness is actually very similar for the word generosity. In fact, in some Bible translations, it would even superimpose generosity instead of goodness there. I was reading from the the ESV, but there are translations that would use the word generosity instead of goodness. And and that word, going back to the Bible dictionary, uh, basically means to act intentionally generous towards another. Now when I hear the word kind or kindness or when I read the, the fruit of the Spirit, being uh, one of them being kindness, there is a phrase from, from my earlier years of life, you don't hear it anymore, that pops into my brain. The kids will have never heard this because they have never had the, the, the disservice of putting in a rented VCR tape into a, a VCR player and having to rewind the movie themselves. Before they watched it. Anybody know what's the phrase? Anybody know it? Say it out loud Be kind, rewind. rewind. In other words, uh, you are intentionally thinking of someone else and doing something for their benefit, even if it costs you something, right? Because you've got to hit that button and you've got to wait, depending on how fast your little things ran in your VCR, which mine always seemed to run extra slow. And if you were watching Titanic, it took forever, right? Because you had two VCR tapes. Y'all remember that? Yeah, I can't. I I mean, of course, I didn't watch that movie. It was rated R or something. But, you know, Kristen told me about it. (laughs) Anyway, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12, basically recording the same thing Luke records, but he adds a little bit to it. He says, Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. But then he adds something to it that's really important. He says, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, what he's saying is you can take everything from the Old Testament, all the instructions, all the commands, all the law, all, the, all the, what the prophet said, and you put it all together. And basically what it boils down to is treat other people. The way you wish other people would treat you. Even if other people aren't treating you the way you wish that they would treat you, you treat them the way you wish that they would treat you. And the thing about that statement, the thing about that sentence, the thing about the golden rule, right? Uh, However you treat people in one way or another, that is how they're going to treat you. I'm going to say that again because I want to connect some dots for you this morning. Even if you don't treat people the way you wish they would treat you, people will treat you the way you treat them. This all goes back to a law that the first account I remember seeing of it in the Bible is when Noah steps off the ark. And God tells Noah that for as long as the earth remains, there will be cold and hot and there will be sea time And harvest time. It's the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. In other words, what you plant, that's what you're going to get back. What you sow, that's what you will reap. And and Paul, later in Galatians, after the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 6, reiterates this law for us again. He says in Galatians 6-7, he says, Do not be deceived, don't be fooled. God is not mocked. In other words, you cannot surpass the justice or the laws that God has put into motion. You can't can't find a loophole in what God has said will always be. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever you give, you're going to get back. Whatever you plant, you're going to harvest. And the thing about sowing and reaping is that you always get back more than you plant. Yes, you know, if I had a seed of, of corn or whatever uh, I had, and I planted it in the ground, and I, and I watered it, and I made sure it was taken care of, when, when that plant grows, I don't get back one kernel of corn, right? I get back a stalk, right, that produces many ears of corn that each contain many kernels of corn. And so whatever you're planting... Not only will you get it back, but you will always get back more than you plant. And so, with, with that thought in mind, kindness or or being kind to others is actually fully informed self-interest. Does that make sense? So, so I want people, how many of you want people to be kind to you? Right? I mean, raise, raise your hand high. Like, okay. Maybe I should ask like this. How many of you want people to be jerks to you? There's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We all want people to be kind to us, right? Well, what do we understand? How, how, how do we make people be kind to us or, or act kindly towards us? How, how can we ensure that in some way or another that will happen? Well, according to Jesus and according to Paul and according to, to the Bible, the way that you can ensure that happens is, is by being kind to other people, by treating other people the way you would want them to treat you. If, and so let me, if, if people in your circle of life g- as a general rule of thumb, are consistently unkind towards you, oh, I would say that that is a less reflection of them, it might be a greater reflection of you. Okay, all right. Sorry, I'm meddling. That was deep. Yeah, who said that? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. In other words, when you plant, you're going to get a harvest. When you when you give something out, you're gonna get it back. He says, given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. For the and and, and I wanna I wanna clarify that sentence. Are you guys okay with me teaching this a little bit? Okay, three of you. Good deal. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay, so the word measure is in there twice, but the first way it is used and the second way it is used are actually different because we're not talking about, you know, if you had a cup of flour, Jesus isn't saying if you measure a cup and then that's what you'll get. What he's saying is whatever it is that you're measuring, whether it be kindness, that is is what's going to be given back to you pressed down, shaken together, running over, and poured into your lap. In other words, if you are, are sowing kindness, then kindness is going to be pressed down, shaken together, and it's going to run over, and it's going to be poured into your lap. You're going to get more back than you sow. Now, this scripture is often used in teaching about finances. You guys ever been a part of that? You ever seen that done? Where when you give money, and it will be given back to you. Now, It's true. It, it is true, but how many of you know, and you've been around church long enough to know that it's often abused as well, right? And it is. But it doesn't just because it's sometimes been abused doesn't mean it's not true. It is true. Uh, if you sow obedience, right? If you obedience to the Lord and and being faithful to the scriptures and doing what He says, there are promises all throughout scriptures that 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 as you sow obedience, that you will reap favor and blessings, right? That will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over and pouring into your lap when you sell when you when you sow generosity, that you are gonna receive back a blessing financially in one way or the other and and we can use and abuse that but at the same time it's still true and we have to preach the truth right and 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 so it's going to be pressed down shaken together and when you when you sow friendliness you're going to reap a harvest of friends when you sow kindness you're going to reap a harvest of kindness now the original context of Luke 6, has nothing to do with money. It actually has everything to do with judgment. And Jesus is saying, if you, if you are judging people, the measure you use, which is judgment, you will receive judgment back. But you know what else? If you use grace, if you give grace, praise God, aren't you thankful you get grace back? If you, if you give mercy, praise God, you get mercy back. In other words, whatever you're planning, you're going to get it. Back and so, when you sow kindness, when you sow goodness, you're actually setting yourself up to receive kindness. That's why being kind is actually fully informed self-interest. Does that does that does that compute? Does that make sense? Right. I, I believe I truly believe that tithing is fully informed uh, provision. Okay. So in other words, when I tithe, and I do, when I give my 10% to the Lord, what I am essentially saying is, God, I am being obedient and I am investing into your kingdom and I am doing what your word says. And so therefore, my finances are no longer my responsibility. My finances are your responsibility. Okay. All right. I I can see y'all don't like that. Or a few of you do. But it's true. It's true. And if you don't believe it's true, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Okay. All right. So how many of you know, though, that if you plant a seed, it doesn't just immediately sprout and grow and produce a crop or a harvest, right? And so that's why Paul would also say in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So sometimes, even though... You might have been sowing kindness or sowing goodness and you haven't seen the harvest yet. I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Uh, Stay faithful. Do what the Lord says and in due season you will reap a harvest. And 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 speaking of that doing good, I, I just I felt the Lord give me this this sentence and I just wanted to share it with you. While the world is chasing the good life, let us as disciples of Jesus decide to live a doing good life. I think there's too many Christians going to church every Sunday who are too um, interested and too concerned with trying to be good and not concerned enough with trying to do good. And, and, if you, and see, really, we are not just called to be good. But more than anything, as men and women of God and followers of Jesus, we are called to do good. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so I want to talk about some barriers to living this kind of life, to, to living a kind and doing good life. And so the first barrier that I'm going to share with you is the barrier of insecurity. The barrier of insecurity. Because here's the thing. You cannot be kind and you cannot show goodness to others if you worry too much about what others think of you right? Um, and you know, the, the the easiest example I can think of is going back to, you know, middle school or high school when there's a new kid in your school and you're going through the cafeteria line and you've got your tray and you see them over there sitting by themselves, the new kid that everybody's kind of pointing at and, and they talk funny because they may not be from where you're from and they look different because may, they may not be where you're from and you see them over there and you have this internal conflict of, should I go sit with them and, and talk to them and include them? uh, Or should I just go to where I normally go? Because if I go over there, uh, my friends and my people might begin to exclude me. Uh, And so, but if I don't go, then he's going to feel excluded. And so I kind of think of it like that. That's why if you struggle with insecurity and many of us do, we cannot live up to the full potential that God has for us to be kind and, and good people because we are too concerned about what Others may think of us. And and insecurity also will cause us to indirectly or even possibly discreetly to tear others down instead of building them up because we want to feel better than we feel currently. And one of the best ways to make yourself feel better is to make someone else feel bad. It's called bullying, right? And, And the source of it... Is insecurity the, the other barrier to 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 living a kind and good life? Is is pride? Now. Now, here's the thing. Pride lives on a spectrum, and it's not a matter of are you more prideful or less prideful, but pride and insecurity go hand in hand. On the one hand, you have insecurity. On the other hand, you have pride. So pride means that all I do is think good things about myself and bad things about other people, right? Pride means that I, I look down on someone because they, they they maybe have a job that I deem menial, or, or I look down on someone because they obviously don't have as much money as I do or I, I look down on someone because they're not as smart as I am or, or or maybe because of the way they raise their kids or maybe because of the shape that their marriage is in and so I, I think less of them and I think more of myself I think you know if they would just parent the way I parent then their life would be better or if they would just get an education like I did their life would be better or if they would just read their Bible more right their life would be better all those kinds of things and so we devalue others and we, we increase our own value in our eyes but see insecurity is actually just pride in reverse <clears throat> because what insecurity causes you to do is still think about yourself. You just think negative things about yourself, right? You, you think, oh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm overweight or I'm too short. No jokes, okay? Don't want to hear that. <laughs> or, you know, nobody likes me or I'm not good enough or whatever it may be. And so what, what happens is, Pride and insecurity are both barriers to being kind and doing good because you are still focused on you. Right? And, and, and especially with pride, it is impossible to show kindness to someone that you don't see value in. That if you look at them and you think less of them because of something about them, and, you, and, and, and likewise you think more of yourself because you're not that way, You can't love them properly. You can't show them the kindness that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit because you don't value them the way Jesus values them. They've become less in your eyes. So insecurity and pride both keep us from being kind and doing good. A third one completely unrelated to those two is that keeps us from kindness and doing good is lack of margin in our life which I know may be sounding a little strange, but for instance, if my schedule is so busy, if my calendar is so packed and my energy levels are so depleted because my calendar is so packed, because I have so much going on, then I don't have time to go out of my way to do something for someone else. I don't have energy to go out of my way to help someone, to be kind or to do good because I have no margin in my life. Does that make sense? And, 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 if, and maybe I'm living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, I can barely make ends meet because of whatever, you know, there's so many reasons that that could be the case. Uh, but ultimately, I'm living not below my means, but above my means or right at my means and I have no margin financially. So when I encounter someone with a need or, or when the church is taking up donations to buy a new playground, I can't be part of it because I have no margin in my life. Yeah, so we have to conquer pride. We have to give that pride to the Lord and say, Lord, help me see myself properly. God, not to think too little of myself, also not to think too much of myself. In fact, if you could just help me stop thinking about myself, that would be great. Because that's what real humility is. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Right? And so that way I can think about others and how I can love others. And Lord, help me, help me prioritize my time so that I can have margin in my schedule, margin in my days, margin in my hours. And then help me to prioritize financially, God, how you want me to live my life. What you want me to spend money on. What you want me to save money for. What you want me to set money aside for. So that when I encounter someone with a need, and if you, if you ask the Lord to help you Be more kind and do more good. What you are essentially asking God to do is for God to show you people who need kindness and something good done for them, right? And so God, help me to create margin in my life. Help me to surrender pride and insecurity to you. And so so if we're going to live this way, if we're going to give up pride, if we're going to submit insecurity to him and we're going to, embrace margin in our life so that we can have the time, so that we can have the energy, so that we can have the resources to do good, to be kind. What does it look like? What does this kind life, good-doing life look like? Well, first and foremost, it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. I got 15 things. I'm just going to go pretty quick through these. And if you're taking notes, you can try to write them down. If not, then maybe you'll remember them. But, but I think kindness looks a lot like compassion. Jesus, over and over again throughout the Gospels, he's, he's in some location doing something, and a crowd of people hear that Jesus is there. And they all get together, and they start walking towards Jesus. And Jesus sees the crowd in the distance and over and over again throughout the Gospels uses this phrase. Jesus sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. And, And I would just encourage you, even right now you could do this, that you would ask the Lord to begin breaking your heart for the things that breaks his heart. That he would help you see people and see their needs the way he sees people and the way he sees their need Because I think for so many of us, and listen, I'm not exempt from this. I, I feel this too. It's so easy to become calloused towards people who are in need. It's so easy to just write them off and to think you know, if they had made better choices then they wouldn't be in this position. But how many of you know that had Jesus not shown compassion and given us grace and given us mercy that we would all be in bad shape. Amen. So praise the Lord for that. So I think kindness looks like compassion. I think it's generous, generous in our time, generous in our energy, generous in our resources, which is why we have to build margin into our life, right, so that we actually have some time, actually have some energy, and actually have some resources to share when we encounter people who need some of our time, who who need some of our energy, and who may even need some of our resources, right? Right? It's generous. It's also generous in our words and how we speak to people. I, mean, I think that social media and the way we communicate via text message has, has done a great disservice to the way we interact with people. It's nothing for sarcasm and, and put downs and, and, and things that we, we, we... I feel like we think we can say anything to anybody if we follow it up with LOL or a laughing emoji, right? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, right? I hate your guts, ha, ha, ha. Like, it just takes, a, it takes the sting off of it, right? Um, but I would just encourage each and every one of us in the room to, to become more kind in how we choose to talk to one another, in our encouragement towards one another, I have yet to meet anybody in this world, whether they be a Christian or not a Christian, who has ever been over-encouraged. Who is just fed up with how encouraged they are. That if someone else gives them some more encouragement, that they, they will just lose their mind. Right? That they're just done with it. Here's the thing. Everyone you see, everyone you meet, everyone you talk to, Every one of you in this room, in some area of our life, we could use some encouragement. And, and if we can't encourage one another while we're at church or when we're, de- when we're having relationships with each other outside of church, how can we be an encouragement to the people who don't know Jesus? So so we, I think kindness looks like compassion. I think it's generous, it's, in, it's encouraging, it's patient because not only... Is patience a fruit of the Spirit? I believe it's an aspect of kindness. Patient with people who don't understand quite what we understand yet. Pa- fathers, patient with your sons and, and, and your children. Mothers, patient with your children. Spouses, patient with one another. Amen. I think kindness looks humble. Realizing, and, and this is what I think real humility is. is it's realizing that every Good thing I have. Every good thing that I'm able to do is a product, not of my goodness, but of God's goodness. You know, even when someone says, good sermon today or whatever, you know, I I normally say thank you. But I understand, like, the only reason I'm able to do any of this is because the Lord has blessed me. And he's enabled me and equipped me. There's a a joke. uh, There was a preacher... Who who preached a sermon? A little old lady came up to him afterwards, and 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 she said, "That was that was a great message today, Pastor." And he looks at her and he says, "Oh, thank you, but it was all the Lord." And she looked at him square in the eyes and she says, "Well, I think if it was all the Lord, it would have been a little bit better, but it was still pretty good." Yeah. Amen. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think kindness and, and goodness are forgiving, quick to forgive, because God has forgiven the unforgivable in each one of us. It, it's thankful because we know that even in difficult situations, that, that, that God has been so good to us and has blessed us with so much. It's selfless. It's ready to give without any strings attached. And that when we serve someone or when, when we give something to someone, that, that we understand that, that we're, not, we're not subliminally or, or trying to manipulate, having some ulterior motive that they will do something good for us, but that we do so because we, we just love them and we want to be good and kind and generous. And, amen? It's it's flexible because we understand that when when things don't go our way, that God's plan is greater than my plan. There's an old proverbs, and it's in Proverbs chapter 32. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. <laughs> go go look it up in your Bible, Proverbs 32 verse one. Go try to find it in the Bible. Out. Let me know what you find. It's optimistic because because we choose to see the good in all things, even in bad things, even. Even horrible things because we we go back to God's word and we read what Paul wrote in Romans 8.28 that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's honest because real kindness chooses to tell the truth because we know that facing an uncomfortable truth is better than living an uncomfortable lie or a comfortable lie. That's why, that's why from this platform we have to be honest about what the Bible says is sinful and what the Bible says is good. That's why we, we, can't, we can't change God's word. We can't change the message. We can't, we can't alter what God asks of us because culture changes, right? And, and, and when we tell the truth, we don't do so from hate or condemnation. We do so from love because we want to see people's lives changed and transformed by the, the truth of the gospel and by the truth of Jesus. So it's honest. Kindness is authentic. Because we work, we strive to make sure there is no gap between our our private walk and our public talk. If you want your family to respect you, if you want your kids to respect you, make sure that they see the same you when you're at home Versus when you're in public with other people. Kindness and goodness are respectful. Because we understand. That every single human being on this planet. Even enemies. Right? Even people who would seek to do us harm. They are someone made in God's image. And they are worth the dignity and honor. Right? It's. It, kindness is slow to make judgments because we choose to give grace because we have received so much grace. And kindness, last but certainly not least, is loving, right? I, it's also another fruit of the Spirit. And I saved it for last because everything we say, according to Paul in First Corinthians 13, everything we say, everything we do has to be motivated by love or else it will not have the full effect that it should have. And so I was praying and I was asking the Lord, like, okay, show me how how can, what, what does your kindness look like? Because when we go back to the fruit of the Spirit, we remember the reason why they are the fruit of the Spirit is because they are who God is. And when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, then we become more like God. So to say that kindness and goodness are fruits of the Spirit means that God is kind and he is good. It's not that he, you know, is like a good morally person, although obviously that's true. But more than anything, it means that he does good and he is kind. And so I went back to the Old Testament and I was thinking through this kind of obscure person in the Old Testament. His name is Mephibosheth. And he is the grandson of Saul, the the son of Jonathan, and really and truly would have been an enemy of the new king of Israel David. But what happened in, in Mephibosheth's life is when he was five years old, uh, his, his grandfather and his father both died in battle on the same day. And A nanny, or something like a nanny, uh, was taking care of Mephibosheth. And when they heard that Saul had died, that the king had died in battle, she picked up Mephibosheth and began to flee the palace. Because what that means is is that at some point in the near future, whoever has defeated Saul, they're going to try to come in and, and take over and begin to rule and reign in our land. And so by instinct, she picks up Mephibosheth, she's running, and as she's running, something happens, and she drops this five-year-old child on the ground. And what more than likely happened is he, he broke his legs. He broke both legs. But because of the situation, because of the hurry, because of the panic, because of the turmoil, Mephibosheth wasn't able to be cared for. And so he grows up for the rest of his life, crippled in both legs and both feet, unable to walk on his own without some sort of assistance, crutches or canes or something like that. And, and King David eventually becomes king of Israel. Mephibosheth moves to a place called Lodibar. Interesting tidbit about this story. I didn't share this in first service. If you go and you read a lot about him, you actually find out that Mephibosheth is not his given name. His original name was Mirab Bel, which means enemy of Baal, which, in other words, is saying that that this is a man of God, and Baal is a demon god, and this man of God is is taken on. It's a royal name. There's power and authority and great spirituality in that name that was given to him. But at some point in his life, for whatever reason, he changed his name or started going by another name, Mephibosheth which when you look it up, and you know, Bible names, they all have meaning. In our world today, we don't do that as much. What's your name? John, what's that mean? My dad named me John, you know? (laughs) When I used to introduce people and I'd say my name is Drew and they couldn't understand what I was saying because I mumbled, I would say it's the past tense of draw. That's another. (laughs) Off track. Mephibosheth's name that he gave himself means son of shame. And he moves to a land, an area called Lodibar. And literally, that that name means land of nothing. So you got a guy who was born a prince. He was born royalty. But now... He's the son of shame who comes from nothing. Now, you have to understand too, David becomes king. And what do new kings and new rulers do? They eliminate all threats to the throne. And so one day, David asks one of his servants, he says, he says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, so they say, okay, there's Mephibosheth. David says, all right, go get him. So they knock on Mephibosheth's door. There's a long, it's about a 50 mile ride from Lodibar to Jerusalem. Mephibosheth gets there and he sees David and he bows low before David, basically saying, David, please don't kill me. Because the whole 50 mile journey there Mephibosheth is certain that he is meeting his end, possibly public execution. He doesn't know that David was looking for someone to show kindness to, right? And so Mephibosheth bows low before David and he says, My king, I am your servant, whatever you need, I'm here, you know, you just tell me what to do, I'll do it. And David essentially says, "All right, get up, listen. He takes his wounds, his feet that the Bible talks about how messed up they were, about how uncomfortable and and how much pain Mephibosheth must have been in, how dirty he was. And so Mephibosheth is cleaned up. Uh, The doctors of the day treat his wounds and they do what what they can to give him some comfort and to give him some peace. And David says to Mephibosheth, listen, you will be like one of my sons. You will live in my palace. You will eat from my table. And you will have everything that, everything that your grandfather lost, it will be restored back to you. Here's the kindness of God. That while we were enemies of God, and he had every right to cut us off because of our rebellion because of our sin and while we were people of shame coming from a land of nothing i have nothing to offer him that he doesn't already have he i I can't give him anything he is the i am his kindness while we were his enemies he came and he found us for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son right he he discovered us broken and bitter. I'm reading through the Gospels right now and I'm reading through all four of them at the same time chronologically and it is astounding to me how often Jesus encounters people and you can tell from the writing that his heart is breaking because of the brokenness that he sees around him. He he finds us broken. He finds us bitter. But but instead of cutting us off, instead of giving us what what we deserve, he heals us, he forgives us, and he picks us up because we can't carry ourselves, right? Because of our brokenness, because of our sin, because of our shame. And he carries us to his table, the table of the king. And he says, you will no longer be servants. You will no longer be enemies, but you will be sons and you will be daughters and you will be counted as royalty. Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. That we who used to be his enemies are now part of his family. That is the kindness of God. That's why Paul tells the church in Rome that it's God's that leads us to repentance. It's not God's judgment. It's not God's condemnation. It's not even conviction. It's, It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That God, who should have destroyed me, gave up his only son to be destroyed for me. That's the love of God. And so what does this really look like? It looks like There's a God in heaven who knows me better than I know myself and He loves me anyway. There's a God in heaven that knows me better than my wife knows me, knows me better than Riley knows me, knows me better than Avery knows me, knows my my darkest secrets, knows the sin in my heart that I don't even know about. And He says, I know, but I love you anyway who knows you, who knows you, who knows you, who knows you, who knows each and every one of us. And he, he says, it's okay, my grace is sufficient. Tim Keller is quoted as saying, somebody said, what is the gospel? And he says, to be fully known and fully loved. Fully known and fully loved. Where There is, there is no shame. There there's no shame anymore. I just wonder, as we get ready to to close this morning, if you if you're grateful that, for the kindness of the Lord towards you, would you just stand to your feet? Maybe today you're here and you're just feeling distant from God. And you just need a special touch from Him this morning. You just lift your hand high in the air. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to make you come up here or do anything. I just want to pray for you right where you are. You're just feeling distant. I see you, brother. I see you, friend. I see you, girl. Anybody else? I see you, buddy. There's no shame in this room. Shame had to stay outside when you walked in. Guilt, guilt wasn't welcome in here. Guilt, guilt, we don't let that come in here. Is there anybody else? I see you, ma'am. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Come on, can we pray together? In the name of Jesus, for every one of my friends this morning who need a special touch from you today, God, to be reminded of your kindness, to be reminded of your goodness, to be reminded that you see us, you know us, you still love us. God, that today that you would do a special work in their heart. God, that, that they would literally feel your presence as it wraps itself around them, giving them comfort, giving them peace, and reminding them of who they are in Christ, that they are fully known and fully loved. In Jesus' name. As we just take a moment, Don's going to lead us. But I just want to encourage you to worship the Lord as, as as we take a few moments. Thank him for his kindness. Thank him for his goodness. And let your soul be reminded that he is a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not upset with you. He loves you. And he wants to do something special in your life.